I'm in a sermon series called Focused. And today, I've entitled this sermon, Run the Race to Win. This is one of my favorite scriptures that I'm about to share with you. As a matter of fact, it would be a great one to commit to memory for every believer if you memorize scripture, and that's a good thing to do. 2 Timothy 2.22, we're gonna talk about that verse most uh, of the sermon today. But I've entitled it, Run the Race to Win. Our walk with Jesus, our time on this earth, is compared to a race, a couple places in the scripture, and I'll read one of those scriptures to you in a moment. I heard about this race and someone who wasn't running right. Maybe you've heard the story on the 21st of April, 1980, a few years ago, Rosie Ruiz, a 23-year-old New Yorker, was the first woman to cross the finish line in the Boston Marathon. She'd achieved the third fastest time ever recorded for a female, two hours, 31 minutes, and 56 seconds, which was made all the more remarkable by the fact that she looked sweat-free and relaxed at the end of the race. She climbed the winner's podium and accepted the winner's wreath, but the race officials almost immediately felt something was wrong and they began to question the victory. The problem was no one could remember having seen her during the race. Monitors at various race checkpoints hadn't seen her, nor had any other runners, and numerous photographs that were taken along the way failed to contain any sign of her. And her absence was overwhelming. Finally, a few members of the crowd came forward to reveal that they had seen her jump into the race in its final half mile. Apparently, she had then just simply uh, sprinted to the finish line. And as race officials prepared to announce her disqualification from that race, they discovered evidence that she had also cheated during the earlier New York Marathon. That's where she had qualified with her time to run the Boston Marathon. In that race, she had apparently achieved achieved her time by riding the subway a portion of the race. (laughs) Officials stripped her of her Boston Marathon victory and awarded the title to the real winner that day. There are certain rules that are lined out that you have, to, you have to follow if you're going to finish and finish well. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. And I'm going to share a few thoughts for you today from 2 Timothy 2.22 that show you how to run this race with Jesus Christ while you're in this earth and win. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, your truth that sets us free. Thank you that you lead us and guide us and help us and save us from ourselves. Now, Lord, would you speak to each of our hearts in the way only you can by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can take it to heart and live a free life in Jesus Christ. Let it be, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, run away from evil. So if you're gonna run to win, the Bible tells you that you should run away from evil. Here it is in that verse, but run away from evil, young people like to do. Now when it says young people like to do, it doesn't mean uh, that you should flee these lust or sins only when you're young. What it means is, regardless of your age, these youthful lusts will always be there. John Corson, a preacher, says this, uh, I can watch HBO because I'm 50 and it doesn't affect me, some say. 
Or I can go in there in that place that's bad because I'm not a kid anymore and I can handle it. And then he says this, those who think this kid themselves. For the lusts that were real when they were younger are real all the days of our lives. And it's an interesting thought here. You might think uh, that the scriptures would say, turn away from evil or walk away. But it's kind of radical. It says, run away from evil. It apparently is a right now, when you recognize it, get out of there really fast thought. What are, what are these temptations uh, that young people face, that all people face? You know, in the old days, they, they labeled them sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Today, we might say fame, fortune, and females, or fame, fortune, and fellas. But there are temptations that the enemy will put before us on many fronts. And God has boundaries. Now, you see this caution tape with these orange cones up here today. And this is to signify the boundaries that God would give us. Did you know if you live within the boundaries, and they're spelled out here, there are some do's and there are some don'ts in the scriptures. And we live in a day in our culture uh, where it's not popular to talk about the don'ts. The problem with that is when you cross the boundaries God gives, you are vulnerable to the attack of the enemy, to the temptations of the enemy in a greater way. In a sense, you leave God's covering when you go beyond the boundaries that are spelled out in this word. Well, number one, it's important to know what the boundaries are, so you have to read it to understand what those boundaries are. And then number two, it's important to live within what you understand, to live it, to live it out. Now, we have some finger rockets to illustrate something, and there's some people in here that are going to be shooting this at me in just a moment. Here's how they work. I'm going to see if I can hit our sound guy back there, Dwayne. Oh! Wow, that stuck right between the seats. That was really bad shooting. I hope everyone else is equally as bad when they shoot their rockets here in just a moment. But the thought is, when I cross a boundary, you're going to see some rockets coming at me here in just a moment. And, and we're going to split it up this way. When I cross this boundary, whoever has a rocket in this section, and they were passed out, some of them before, a limited amount, so I could at least have a chance to dodge them. So you guys, are when I cross that one, in this section right down the middle where that aisle split, you're going to shoot when it happens here in this section, when I cross here in that section over there, and I see some youth with big smiles. <laughs> They're looking for a direct hit over there. I'm starting to be a little bit afraid as I look at people out there. But here's the thought. When you move outside of God's covering, his boundaries, suddenly you can get shot at by the enemy. And Ephesians 6.16 says that the enemy shoots fiery arrows at us. That's what it says in the word of God. And so when you step beyond the boundaries, now you might have the enemy obviously tempt you when you're inside the boundaries, but when you get beyond what you're saying is, God, I'm leaving what you said behind on purpose I'm gonna go out here on my own and we'll see what happens when you do that. Here are some of the excuses people will say. Some people will say, did God really say? And it's interesting because that's a thought of the enemy. Remember Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, for instance, last week we talked about homosexuality, and it's very direct that it's sin and the lifestyle that someone who lives it is not in God. But there are people today who say, did God really say? 
And really, as you cross these boundaries, it can be any sin, the sin of adultery, uh, the sin of pornography. I mean, you pick the one, the sin of anger. But wherever it is, when you come up to it and you say, did God really say, and you might say something like this, well, those people are just legalists. They just take it farther than they should. No matter what you say, when you decide after saying, did God really say to cross over, suddenly you get shot at. Oh, man. Okay. Someone threw one there. They didn't, uh, those guys are really bad shots. The enemy can shoot a little, be- a little better than even that. How about this thought? There are those who would say, this is an excuse now. Well, I'm, I'm strong enough. You know, I've been in the Lord long enough. I'm strong enough. Well, here's what the Bible says. Be careful. If you think, oh, I would never behave like that, let this be a warning to you, for you too may fall into sin. And you say, well, I'm strong enough. Well, listen, that's famous last words. Because when you think, pick the sin, whatever it is, whatever it is the enemy's tempted, you think, I'm strong enough, you cross over the boundaries. (laughs) I'm counting on the youth to do a little better than the adults here today. David, shoot again. There we go. Oh, that was close. There's one right there, right? Shoot it, somebody. Dave, show them where it is. Second seat. Okay, there we go. See, it took youth to hit me. There we go. And eventually, eventually, you're going to get hit when you cross the boundaries. How about this lie? Well, just this once. I'll just do it this once. Because God is a forgiving God. And that's true. But here's the problem with crossing a boundary when you say just this once and, got, and getting forgiveness and, and uh, you, you know, instead of permission. Galatians 6, 8, the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. Even when God forgives, you will pay consequences in this life. I know people that have sinned, God has forgiven them, and in their trial, they were sent to prison for over a decade. They're forgiven the whole time they're in the prison, but guess what? They are paying the consequences for their sin. And that's the problem with saying, well, just this once, because once you cross the boundary, hey, that's really, (laughs) this guy up front is, go. Am I going to survive this? All right. I hope so. Let me get back in bounds. <laughs> okay, how about those who say, well, no one will know. No one will know. And God is forgiving. Luke eight seventeen says this, for all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open. You know what that means? Shame comes with sin. Eventually, how many times before, before that that yielding to something does it, and, and, and yielding to the temptation, how many times does it take for a bad habit or a sinful habit to come forward or a terrible, devastating fall? Everything concealed will be brought into light, the Bible says. And I don't think this is talking just about heaven. It's talking about earth too. Numbers 33, 23, but if you fail to do this, you'll be sinning against the Lord and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. And so you, you may say, well, no one will really know, and I'll just name the sin, you know, whatever it is. I'll just step over here, and I'll, I'll probably be okay. Come on, youth. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> we, we have people in the congregation in grave danger here. We better stop this right away. There you go, buddy. These guys. Listen, when you step across the boundaries, I got hit in the leg twice here. You will eventually get hit. And the enemy wants to make you think for whatever reason, he'll just pick whatever it is that'll make you drop your guard and move out. 
You might even just be mad at someone. Well, I'll show them. I'll show my parents. I'll just, since they think I'm bad, I'll just step out here and do this. The problem, no matter what the reason you step across, you get hit and eventually you get hurt majorly. I think of uh, Dick Foth and the story. Some of you have heard it before, but uh, it's a great story. He's, he's spoken and shared this story here before. He was at a hotel. He travels the nation and speaks and that night as he was pulling his luggage out of his car, a young lady next to him was opening her trunk and she was a beautiful young lady. And she said to him, can you help me with my luggage? And Dick thought, well, sure, I can be a gentleman and help her with her luggage. So he carried it for her and she said, can you, can you just help me get it to, to, to my room? And he thought, well, okay. So he gets to the room, she opens the door, he sets, he's setting the luggage down. And she says to him, as she turns with the door open, I'm so lonely, do you think you could just come in and have a drink with me and we'll talk? And Dick said the only thing he could do, it's the first thing on his mind when he set the luggage down, was to turn and sprint away from her without saying one word. <laughs> just turn and ran. And that's exactly what the Bible is talking about when it says run from sexual sin in 1 Corinthians six eighteen, Run from it. Why? Because there's really hurtful consequences. And then, you know, people say, well, all sin's the same. Evidently, sexual sin can have something of a little greater devastating consequence. And I think one of the things it has is, is a trust issue that's violated and broken. But it, here's, listen, to this is the Bible. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For, sev for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And there's something about that. And the enemy says, turn and run from it. Stay in bounds. Be careful. Let me cover you. Don't move beyond my covering so you can get shot at more and more and get wounded. You know, when I think of uh, the boundaries, I think of this scripture, and I didn't have this in my notes. I looked it up between, between services because it came to my mind last service. When it comes to sexual sin, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 says this. And you won't see this on the screen because I just looked it up. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Isn't that interesting? The boundary is don't associate with sexually immoral people. That's one of the boundaries. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. Now catch this. The Bible's saying not just the people who are, who are unbelievers. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 5 now. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral. Now we're talking believers who say that they're Christians, and yet they're sexually immoral, a greeter, an idolater, or a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. And then it says this, with such a man, another version, with such a person, do not even eat. Run away from it. Don't get involved there. Be careful. That's what the word of the Lord says. Here's another thought from 2 Timothy 2.22. Run with good company. So you run away from evil, but you run with good company. Both those thoughts are in this verse. Verse 22, now try hard to live right and to have faith, love, and peace together. There's that word together again. Together with those who trust in the Lord with pure hearts. Hanging out with people who love the Lord, good godly friends makes a positive difference in your life. It is going to be way easier for you to make it in your walk with, with God, your walk with Jesus Christ, if you hang with people who love him. 
I think of a friend, it just so happens his son's here this morning from George Fox. His name was Todd Newell. Todd was good company to run with. Now, when I first went to George Fox, I had fallen away from the Lord. I was a prodigal. Todd Newell loved me before I followed Jesus, and he loved me after. Eventually, I came to the Lord there, and I made my own decision to follow. But here's a guy who seemed to understand this holy tension between loving people and helping people, and he was a great guy to run with. When I came to Jesus, hanging with him made a positive difference in my life. I remember I had a bit of a reputation at George Fox that wasn't good. And um, I, I, I remember when I made a decision to follow the Lord, I thought, I need to hang with some people who love God. Because when you hang with people who don't love God, you'll find yourself doing the wrong things. And that's what was happening with me. I had made a decision to follow Christ, but I was still hanging with people who weren't following Christ, and it wasn't good. So I remember I made a decision to move away from those guys and even talk to them about following Christ. And I, you know, I was, I was, I was going to have to not hang with them anymore. And then I sat at a table. I walked in the cafeteria, and some of you heard this, but I just sat at a table with some people that I thought were the strongest Christians who looked like they were having a good time. And I sat at their table and they looked at me like, because they, you know, remember the reputation thing, like, what are you doing? I said, well, I've decided that I'm gonna follow Jesus with my life. I need good friends who love Jesus. I think you guys love Jesus. You're my new friends. (laughs) And you know what? They were. They came alongside me. They loved me. They helped me. They encourage me. You show me who your close friends are and I will tell you whether you're going to struggle or do well with your walk in Christ. I'm gonna say that again because I have watched it for 30 years of ministry. You show me who your close friends are and I'll show you whether you're gonna struggle or do well in your walk with Christ. Your closest friends should be believers who love God. The good friends should be people who trust God with their lives. They have pure hearts. This word means something to them. They're in it. They want to please God with their lives. Don't run with people who are regularly in the wrong places. Don't run with people who are regularly doing the wrong things. Or you'll be in the wrong places eventually doing the wrong things. Hey, experience everybody here. Could say yes and amen to that. Some people think this is just a nice little saying, um, bad company corrupts good character, but did you know that's in the Bible? I mean, that, that saying that we hear so often comes from the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. It's kind of what we're saying. Good company will bless you and keep you in the way. That's why Paul told Timothy, run with people who love me who love God, rather, and and who will follow Jesus. Verse 34, think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. Huh, there's a thought. We don't hear that from the pulpit too much, but there's some personal responsibility to this whole stop sinning thing. Jesus will kick in when we have a heart to do the right thing. It takes willpower, our will and his power to overcome sin. But we must have a will, we must exercise it, and then the power of God meets us in an incredible way to overcome sin. You say, are you saying people can be sinless? 
I'm saying that when we come to Jesus, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But when we come to Jesus, believers should sin less and less all the time. That's what I'm saying. That we should hang with people who love God and it'll make a difference in our life. I remember uh, another good friend that I made when I was a youth pastor in Salem. His name was Doug Sheets. Doug and I, he got me into riding, riding bikes. And we would ride between Mount Angel and Salem out on those country roads several times a week, 20 or 30 miles. And I remember just loving being with this guy because I'd never, I'd never had a friend where we talked about Jesus so much. We would pray together. We would do outreaches together musically in those days. We would laugh and we would play. You know, you, you, it's okay to find someone you like who's a believer to hang with and be your best friend. As a matter of fact, I think the best life possible is a life lived in Jesus Christ hanging with his people. Because after all, those parties, you don't end up bowing to the porcelain God the next morning and sorry for the things that you might have done the night before. You don't have to have regrets when you party with God's people. Well, Doug Doug was a tremendous blessing to me. We would share big dreams about building God's kingdom together. And that was one of the most, in the early stages of my ministry uh, to to, to people for the Lord, this guy was a great blessing to me as a friend, encouraging me in incredible ways. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this, don't be team with those who do not love the Lord. That's the verse that some of you might recognize from the King James that says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And we use it for marriage. You know, don't, don't date an unbeliever. Don't marry an unbeliever. That's, that's absolutely a correct interpretation of that, but it's bigger than that. Don't let the, the, the key relationships in your life where you uh, will be influenced, don't, don't team with people who don't love the Lord. For what do the people of God have in common with the people of sin? How can light live with darkness? Now, those are, those are the scriptures. Before some of you get too excited, I mean, you know my heart. I believe we should reach unbelievers as well. I love this passage because my next thought comes right from the flow of scriptures. Timothy has just been told by Paul, who was writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, hang with people who love, who love the Lord. Hang with people who love God. Let them be your, your closest relationships. But then he goes on to talk about relationships with unbeliever. There's a holy tension here. Essentially, what it says is your best friend should be unbelievers, but you can have, or rather believers, but you can have unbelievers who are friends. As long as you're the influencer and not the influenced in that relationship. Let's look at it here in verse 23 now. And the thought I have is don't, don't run unbelievers away. It comes from the scriptures here. We're talking about running to win. Now we're gonna help other people win. Don't run unbelievers away. Stay away, it says, from foolish and stupid arguments because you know they grow into quarrels. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be, be kind to everyone, a good teacher and patient. The Lord's servant must gently teach those who disagree. Now, when it's talking about this category of disagreement, now we're moving into unbelievers here in the text. Then maybe God will let them change their minds so they can accept the truth. See, they don't, they don't believe the truth yet. And they may wake up and escape from the trap of the devil who catches them to do what he wants. I like what Eric Liddell 
said. He was a missionary, and some of you saw the movie about his life. But he says, we are all missionaries. Wherever we go, we either bring people nearer to Christ or we repel them from Christ. So though our best friends should be believers, just because you don't make unbelievers your best friend does not mean you should not have interaction or relationship with them. Here we can see that he's talking about relationship with unbelievers and it being a good example, hanging around them too. You should have relationships with unbelievers, but you should be the one who's influencing. And the way you influence is listed here. Be kind, gentle, loving, patient. Don't be an in-your-face political kind of Christian. I'm telling you, it is a huge mistake for you to move as a believer into politics as your main emphasis of conversation, motivation, in a reacting way in public. Listen, I believe that the word of God should be honored. I want to elect godly men and women to office. But my goal in life is not a political goal and no believer's main goal should be political. It should be a relationship that's established with people, first established with Jesus Christ so we can know him and then established to influence people. We're about Jesus, not about politics. There are some thoughts in here that are truth that some would call political, but they're biblical so, so we're not gonna move away from that, but the thought is we should be loving people to Jesus, not trying to convince them that conservatism or Republicans or Democrats, whatever your emphasis is, that, that, that's not our main focus. Our main focus is Jesus. Luke 5, 27 shows us that Jesus hung around with some unbelievers. Later, as Jesus left the town, it says, he saw a tax collector named Levi. Tax collectors in those days culturally were known as the biggest cheats and the most crooked people in the whole area. And he saw Levi sitting at a tax collector's booth. He said, follow me and be my disciple. That's what Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything and followed him. And later Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. And many of Levi's fellow tax collectors, a bunch of sinners met in his house. Other guests who ate with them. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? See, religious people, I, I don't really want to be religious. I want to I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion can be any number of thoughts that people make up in their heads. But a relationship with Jesus is what will impact other people. I like an old song, I'm not religious, I just love the Lord. It's a song from many years ago. And I think that's what we should be. We're not religious people, we're Jesus people. And Jesus people love, and Jesus people don't think of other people as scum. I mean, it grieves me to think that religious people would look down their noses at other people. People who have great sin in their lives and call them scum. Have we forgotten where we came from? Have we forgotten that we're all sinners saved by grace? Yesterday I was driving on the freeway and I, I saw a couple police officers had their lights on on the side and it looked like they were giving a sobriety test to a gentleman who looked like he was in his mid-30s. And I, I just felt deep sorrow for him and compassion. I, I, don't, I don't know why he felt the need to intoxicate himself. 
I don't know if it was loneliness. I don't know if it was a mistake. I don't know what it was, but he was paying consequences for, for his sin. And, and you know, anybody who loves to see people pay consequences for sin doesn't carry the compassion of God in their hearts. We wanna see people saved and healed and delivered. We wanna love them to Jesus. We wanna see them come out so they're not hurt anymore. We don't wanna point at them and say, see, you got what you deserve. What if we got what we deserved? Sinners saved by grace. Jesus answered them and said this when they said those people are scum. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick, sick people do. Verse 32, Jesus said, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, see that's the religious crowd, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. I remember years ago, do you remember the Living Enrichment Center in Wilsonville? They, they said they had 5,000 people, the biggest new age church in America. They, they, uh, they called Jesus their main mentor, but they worshiped uh, and the five great religions of the world and it, it, was, it was a cult. And the mayor of our city said to me several years ago, hey, would you be willing to meet with the pastor of that, con- that congregation over there? I said, yeah, I, I, I would meet with her. Now, I don't meet with women alone, so I would have had somebody with me. But if, I, if I'd have met with her, the only focus I would have been, had was, was helping her come to Jesus. Really see who Jesus is and follow him and him alone. Now, we never got a chance to meet, but I remember talking to a friend of mine and telling him that the mayor had asked me to meet with this lady, and I told him I would. And the friend said, oh, you be careful now. Because if people see you associating with her, they may get the wrong impression about who you are and what you're all about. So be careful because people will talk about you. That is exactly what was happening to Jesus in that passage. If we follow that advice, which is well intended, how in the world will people come to Jesus? If we can't be with them to talk to them about Jesus, they'll never know him. If the Holy Spirit can't get one of his own to sit in front of them, to love them, to share truth, to help them, how will they ever come to him? Jesus uses people. That's what he does. I like this thought, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Romans ten fourteen. the very thought I was just sharing, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? That's why Paul told Timothy, look, follow, follow the Lord with those who call on the Lord out of pure heart, but, but get with unbelievers and be kind and loving and gentle and let them see Christ in you. I'm gonna paraphrase. Make your best friends Christians because they'll protect you. That's a boundary too but reach out to people who don't know Christ and be a friend. Because Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, they said about Jesus, he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by what it does. And what that means is, it is wisdom to reach out to people that need the love of God. You see the balance of that holy tension? Best friends, believers, but relationships with unbelievers that could still be a friend. We could be a friend to them. I was saying to someone the other day, there's someone who knows right that they love, a family member, I believe. They know what is right and they're willingly 
deliberately moving away from Christ's truth. And they talked about just keeping relationship with them and loving them. And a time coming where the Holy Spirit might use their life. And I love that thought, that we just love people. When I think of reaching out to unbelievers, I mean, I, I was one that people reached out to when I was in college and was blessed that people didn't look down their noses at me because eventually their example helped me come to Jesus. Even though I'd been raised in the church, I had some misconceptions about it all. There were just a lot of things I didn't understand. And I just, I just saw people live it out, being kind and gentle and loving, and it impacted me. And eventually I came to Christ. And then I became one of those, I wanted to be one of those people that, that loved and cared about people the way people had loved me. And I, I remember when Gene Christian first came to George Fox College. He was an unbeliever. We played on the baseball team together. He was a freshman and I was a junior. Now I know Jesus. I've been following the Lord for a season. And he reminded me of myself before I came to Jesus. There was just so much about him that reminded me of where I was. And I started to reach out to Gene the way people had reached out to me. I encouraged him. I tried to be kind to him. I was praying for him. And I, I did my best to love him from the very beginning. And I really liked him. He was an easy fellow to like. But I found out he didn't like me. That's what he told me later. He didn't like me at all. He treated me nice, but he said, these are his words, I was jealous of you. I remember after a season where I befriended him and reached out and eventually he just kind of yielded to the encouragement I was trying to give him. I remember sitting with him after a couple months in, in the locker room, just the two of us, and I was sharing Jesus with him talking to him about eternity and asking him if he it just came to a point are, are you ready to accept Jesus why don't we just pray right now and he said no I don't I can't I don't want to he said I do believe what you're saying though and I said wait a minute wait a minute let me get this right you believe Jesus is the way I do you believe he's the son of God that he died for your sins he said I, I believe that you believe that there's a heaven to go to and a hell to stay away from and that he'll keep you from there if you, well, yeah, I believe that too. So why don't you just pray, man? He said, because I'm not ready. There's just some things I want to do still yet. I said, dude, that is cold, man. But he wasn't ready. A few weeks after that, he was at a party in his hometown. On the way home, he had a car accident and he almost killed someone in the other car. From the darkness of his bedroom in his own hometown, with no one around, he thought about almost taking someone's life and it just moved him to say, I need Jesus now. And he knelt down in his own room all by himself and he asked Jesus into his heart. One of the happiest moments of my life, and I, I don't know why, it was just a great moment of joy, was when Gene Christian pulled up in his little blue Volkswagen Beetle at the baseball field, got out of his car and yelled at me, Stan, I did it! I thought, did what? I did it, I did it! And he starts running towards me. 
I, he got close and I said, did what? And he said, I, I asked Jesus to come into my life. And I said, you're not kidding me. He said, no, man, I did it. And he just grabbed me and hugged me. And I said, all right, buddy, all right, you did it. And we celebrated that day. I've served, served the Lord all these years when someone reached out to me. It's been such a blessing to see Gino serve the Lord all these years as well. He's, in a, he's, he's involved in Christian ministry today. And he's one of my best friends. You see this balance of hanging with people that love the Lord, that will protect you in your faith, but reaching out with love to others who don't know him. It's in the scriptures right here. Both are really important. Your best friends, believers, but friends that are unbelievers you're reaching to, just like Jesus did. 1 Peter 2.12, people who do, do not believe are living all around you and might say that you are doing wrong. Live such good lives that they will see the good things you do and will give glory to God on the day when Christ comes again.